sharing the gospel. We said we would spend some time talking about this, and it will be this weekend next. Um, I see you're reading already. It's a sober thought, isn't it? 2.5 million people die every Think about it, 285 every hour, 4.75 every minute. Globally, um, 57 million people, 153,000 a year, 101.8, that is, I'm sorry, 108 per minute, then about 1.8 per second. Think about that. We used to count 1,000, 2,000. But before you get to 2,000, someone else has passed in eternity. Think about that for a moment. And even by the time this message is over, um, and then we come back again later for lunch, how many people have passed into eternity? And we know that Jesus Christ is very clear about this, and that there are two roads, and there is one road that is broad, and the other road is what? Is narrow. And there are few that find the narrow road, which tells us then of those headed to separation from God. Many people pass away. It's a part of life. The moment we are born, we begin to die, don't we? Even as people see me on campus, I'm sure Joanna as well, congratulating us on, you know, our first grandchild. But the thing about the grandchild uh, cute as he may be, he's starting to do just the, he's starting to die. Yeah, I know. Saddens me. <laughs> but that's the reality of it. Because one day he'll grow up and he'll go past just being this size right now. And maybe if he's like his son, he may even be t- my son. He'll be taller than me. But um, he'll pass away. And the question is, what will be his eternal state? So I pray for his soul even now. And then we ask ourselves a question, as you see underneath sharing the gospel. He talked about preaching the gospel, and he preached it to everyone, and he was free from the blood of all men. Why was he free from the blood of all men? Because he had not held back preaching to them the full counsel of God. So the implication of that is very clear. If a person does not preach the full counsel of God, if they withhold Uh, this gospel message, if they don't preach in such a way that honors God, that is biblical, there is blood on their hands. Blood on their hands. And so for us, we want to live our lives and we want to live a life that is blood free. Do you not? You want to be able to go into eternity saying, oh, I have no regrets because I share the gospel with everyone the Lord put in front of me. I didn't hold back sharing with that relative because it was an awkward situation. I didn't hold back sharing with the neighbor because I really didn't know the opportunity came up because I didn't fear perhaps not getting the promotion or being the awkward person uh, in the workspace. Yeah, be blood free. And this is what we all should strive for. And that's even why we decided as the elders were talking about anchored and what we might do to talk about the gospel and then spend time with you later today discussing it in practical ways that we can strive for this. There's some passages that we need to consider. Ezekiel chapter 3, chapter 18, and also in Acts chapter 20. There are some points that we want to make here. First, God does expect passionate effort from spiritual watchmen. So God calls out to those, to Ezekiel in particular, 
and saying that he is supposed to be a spiritual watchman over the people. And as a spiritual watchman, it requires us to have a pack who are not uh, asleep on our watch. And if one has ever seen, um, if you've seen uh, perhaps uh, a police officer, you've seen a soldier who is at watch, you've seen the soldiers who are at uh, the tomb of, well, in Arlington, actually. It's, it's a wonderful thing to see. Um, and when that person is on watch, they are focused. You have full attention because they have something that they see as very important, responsible. As a matter of fact, um, some years ago, a very interesting documentary that I viewed that was looking at sort of the special ops through all the military services. And they were looking at, um, at this point in time, um, airborne rangers and the training that they went through. And they had been up for 36 hours. They'd been shooting and exercising, booted out of the program. And they were interviewing some of the men afterwards, and it was very interesting. Uh, they would go to extreme measures to stay up. And these are some of the toughest of the tough. That's who they were. And he said that some guys, to the point, um, you said you're there and you want to go to sleep, and you know you can't go to sleep because you put in all of this effort and you don't want to be booted out of the program. It was your watch. And two extreme measures. He said some guys would put hot sauce in their eyes. Yeah, exactly. Imagine that hot sauce. So you're just constantly, you're constantly blinking. You may not be able to see a thing, but you're awake, right? So (laughs) there's a contradiction there. (laughs) A watchman who has no vision. (laughs) And he said some guys, and I'll, I'll never forget, he said some guys went to the extreme. And he said they actually pinned their eyelids back. Yeah, that's good. (laughs) They took it seriously. You're on watch. I remember my two sons when they were going to their their training for the Marines, and they told us about an occasion where people were on watch, and uh, someone had asked, well, could they get a pizza? And they said, well, sure you can, but make sure you just eat it right at your watch. Don't gather together. And so it's like 2 a.m. in the morning, and guess what? These several people thought, well, the CO's not around, the commanding officer's not around. And what did they do? What do you think they did? They got together and had their pizza. And you know, and you told me, and I loved it because I think this is good. There's a sense of honor. There's a sense of dignity with it. They booted all three of them. You're out. You're out of the program. Just like that. Over a pizza. But here's the reason why. If you don't have enough discipline, what are you going to do when a 50 caliber is going over your head? What are you going to do when your life is at stake? If you can't say no to pepperoni when this is training, we're preparing you for the future, you don't have what it takes. They were gone. He says, it's as if they didn't exist in about 12 hours, as if they were never there. We have to be watchmen as well, don't we? Are we on a watch? Do you agree that we are? And the scripture is clear in this example. But here's something else. God does call men to repentance as a way of life. He calls men to repentance as a way of life. And in this watchman, what is he calling out? He is telling the people of God that God has demands and they must repent. We see this throughout scripture. God calling 
men to repent. Call, call a person to repentance. That is not the gospel. Uh, Jesus Christ came and he said, the kingdom of God is at hand. And what did he call them to do? Repent. Repent. It is here. In the book of Acts, repent that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. And so repentance, what is it? It's a turning away, obviously. It's a changing in life. It's a different decision that one has to make about God and about how we see our lives. It's surrendering to him. And we're calling people to a surrender, turning away from a former life to something that is new. It's this as well, number three. God does have the rights to all men. God has the rights to all men. How do we know he has the rights to all men? Because God is, in fact, the creator, is he not? And as the creator, he has those sovereign rights. Over practical implication for this, though, sometimes I hear people say this, and they will say, well, I think that I must earn the right to share the gospel. Have you ever said that before or heard it before? Um, if you have said it before, stop saying that. Why? Why should you stop saying that? Earning the right to share the gospel. See, what's implicit in that statement is that somehow you need to convince them that you are worthy of sharing and the message is worthy of them hearing. Almost to say, may I have your permission to share this life-saving message with you? No, you are an ambassador of whom? And if he has the rights over all souls and if he has sent you out... You don't have to earn the right to share it with anyone. No, you should go about it with a sense of patience and, and concern and love. That should be a part of it. But this idea earned by the Lord Jesus Christ, amen? So as an ambassador, this is my very calling, is to share. No, I don't make any apology for this message. And this is what Paul said, did he not, in Romans chapter 1. He says what? I am not ashamed of the what? For it is the power of God under salvation. Amen. All right. <laughs> You're going to give the complete verse. <laughs> All right. Did you want to do that in the Greek as well? <laughs> then we're really getting somewhere later. <laughs> Here's a fourth consideration for you. Think about this. A fourth consideration is this. You can show it. God does require individual responsibility, individual responsibility. Why is this important? Why is it important that we consider this? Now behold, he has a son who has observed all his father's sins, which he committed and observing does not do likewise. Verse 15, he does not eat at the mountain shrines or lift up his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel or defile his neighbor's wife or oppress anyone or retain a pledge or commit robbery, but he gives his bread to the hungry and covers the naked with clothing. He keeps his hand from the, um, from the poor, does not take interest or increase. And when it says keeps his hand from the poor, his hand is not against them. He's not exploiting them. And it says in, he does this, he does not take interest or increase, but executes my ordinances and walks in my statues. He will not die for his father's what? Iniquity, he will surely live. As for his father, because he practiced extortion, robbed his brother, and did what was not good among his people, but I will not be punished for my father's sin. And it tells us in verse 20, 
For the person whose sins will die, the son will not bear the punishment for the father's iniquity, nor will the father bear the punishment for the son's iniquity. The righteousness of the righteous will be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked will be upon himself. Clearly communicated here, isn't it? What's, what's wonderful about the gospel message is this, that there are people who have been raised in homes like this where their father or mother or someone that heavily influenced them lived in the world and fought against God. And we might even say had a hatred against God and a hatred against religion. And the beauty of those stories is this, when the gospel is shared with those people, God can take them out of that environment. Isn't that a wonderful testimony? Because you say, I should have gone the way of my family. There may be people in this room, family, they're still in the Roman Catholic Church. God has saved me from it. He pulled me out of it. There may be people that can say, yes, my family was like this. My dad was this way. My mom was this way. And I had these horrible examples around me. Or maybe I come from this environment was a very liberal environment. They questioned God and they questioned the authority of God's word. But yet by God's grace, someone shares the gospel with them and God pulls them out of that environment and saves them. But the opposite can be true as well. There are people who are raised in the right environment and they come here to Grace Community Church and and they've been here since they've been little kids and they've gone through the children's program and junior high and high school and they've gone through the college program and an adult fellowship group and they are still without Christ. And they've been hearing the word year after year after year and they're still. Individual responsibility is clear. Look at Isaiah chapter 3. Isaiah 3, verse 10 and 11, here it says, we need to understand that men will give an account for their words, their deeds, and their rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ, of the offer of grace, Old Testament, New Testament. Verse 10, Isaiah 3, say to the righteous that it will go well with them, for they will eat the fruit of their actions. Woe to the wicked, it will go badly with them. For what he deserves will be done to him. Notice that men will eat sour or bitter fruit of a life based on the choices that they make in that life. Look with me at Matthew. Look at Matthew chapter 12. Matthew 12. And what does it say here? You brood of beaks out of that which fills the heart. Verse 35, it says, the good man brings out of his good treasure what is good, and the evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. In some measure, uh, I think all of us would love to retract words um, that we have uttered over time, shouldn't we? Or don't we? Our words are going to be justifying our condemning. And justifying in this, we have confessed Jesus Christ as Lord, and now we can be justified our condemning. We have said no to the gospel message. And so when we share this gospel message with people, we're calling them to say, will you confess Jesus Christ? And what an amazing moment that's going to be. And as we're thinking about the 90 days of the Bible program, as I was in the last several days going through the book of Revelation And in my mind, thinking about it and thinking about this great white throne 
And the people are going to stand before that throne. And then they're going to be cast into utter darkness, into a lake of fire, joined by what? By death itself and joined by hell itself and joined by the beast and joined by the devil and the devil's angels. And every time I read that, do I must be honest with you, I, I think about this idea of eternity. I think about loved ones that I know and they're without Christ and eternity of suffering. And my mind does go, even at this stage in my life, I have totally, absolutely reconciled it. But there's still that sense in which something in me still pains me when I think there may be people God's wrath. See, it's one thing not to be near the pleasure of God, but it's not near the pleasure of God, but also facing eternal wrath. And that's why the scripture tells us, Romans chapter 10, 9 and 10, it's we confess Jesus Christ. Look at Matthew 16. Matthew 16. Verse 25. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever, it says here. Okay. Loses life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will it will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in glory of his Father with his angels and will according to his deeds. It's sad that people in one sense make the worst deal of a lifetime. They choose to hold on to things that will fade away and they cast away things that are incorruptible. I mean, there's no logic behind that, is it? And so that tells you that, that obviously this is a spiritual battle. No one would ever do that in the natural. No one would say, let me discard something that I cannot lose and let me hold on to something that I will surely lose. Um, the few little dollars that I have invested in some stocks, I've seen them take a hit. You know, recently I have a little app and I go on and see what's happening in the market. And I've been seeing a lot of red and some things that I have um, invested in. Um, it wasn't that way back in January, actually in December. Um, things were wonderful was here. Uh, maybe I should sell now. <laughs> Let me, you know, sell high, buy low. And, <laughs> and some of the advice is to hold on, and I held on, and boy, it's taking a hit, right? <laughs> um, yeah, you're right. It's gone, just like that. And that's in part what the scripture tells us. Don't weary yourself to gain wealth because it takes up eagles and it flies away. Surely it does. Yeah, it flew away. <laughs> but maybe it'll, maybe it'll come back to the nest again. <laughs> We're hoping I'm going to hold on. <laughs> no one says to a person, you know, here's, here's a great stock that I have. It promises to fail. How many would you like? Do you think I'm a complete idiot? But this is what happens. Your righteousness promises to fail. Holding unto these things will in fact fail, but everyday people say, no, I like the investment. And really what they're saying, I don't like the alternative. And the alternative is surrendering my life to the authority of God. Yeah. 
keep going. Um, and next point, number five, is this God does, take, does not take pleasure in the death of sinners. We see this coming from Ezekiel as well, that he takes no pleasure in the death of sinners. Why does he not take pleasure in the death of sinners? Because you say, wait a minute, God, um, I'm a bit confused because without your intervention, no one can be saved. So then surely it must please you then that they are without you. Doesn't hell bring glory to God? And in fact, it does, because in, in hell we see God's holy standard upheld. It is God saying to people for an eternity, I am holy. Now, it's a terrifying thing. It really is. You, you should not take it lightly. It's a terrifying thing. But God is calling people to himself. And those people need to surrender to the message of the gospel. Look with me, point number six here. Look at um, Ezekiel 33. Ezekiel 33. Cold leaders accountable. Leaders are accountable. And right now, I'm referring to leaders as all of you, the watchmen, all of you. Ezekiel 33, 6, it says, But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet, and the people are not warned, and a sword comes and takes a person from them, he is taken away in his iniquity. But his blood I will require from the watchman's hand. And here he uses this illustration of a sword that's coming that represents some sense of vengeance or pain or tragedy. And if a trumpet is not blown that says to everyone, it's coming, be warned. And that's what we do as watchmen. That's what we do as people who share the gospel. We're saying to our friends and our our neighbors and even our enemies, be warned. Now, if they don't heed it, that is their responsibility. Acts 20, verse 26. And it says in verse 26, uh, let's start at verse 24, it would help a bit. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus Christ to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching in the kingdom will no longer see my face. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all men. Why, why is he innocent? Verse 27, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Shrinking. And this is in part, I believe, why Paul would ask for prayer in Ephesians chapter 6. Paul asked And then in Colossians chapter 4, he asked for prayer there, and he simply there says that I would speak as I ought to speak. I'm under an obligation. I'm a watchman. You're a watchman. What is happening on your watch? Look at me at 1 Timothy 4. 1 Timothy 4. And um, notice what it says here in verse 16. 
Okay. He says, verse 15, take pains with these things, be absorbed in them so that your progress may be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear. You're accountable for your life to the master. All of us will give an account for how we live our lives and share in the gospel. Consider, if you will, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 to 15. We will all stand before the beam of seat of Christ. And what is going to happen there? There is wood, hay, and straw versus metal and precious stones. The question is how we live our life. There will be an account. Romans chapter 14. Look, look there. Romans 4, that's actually Siri speaking. She thought I was saying something. So she actually, she just looked up the passage for me. Pretty amazing, but annoying at the same time. <laughs> I need to turn this off. Yeah, this has happened before. Uh, Romans chapter 14. Romans 14. Let's look at verses 10 through 12. It's the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall praise, give praise to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. And the greatest account I believe that we'll have to give is what sort of watchmen were we? What happened on our watch? Were we faithful in delivering the message. How many of you know people right now, they are without Christ? You know someone, don't you? How about you have a loved one? I mean, someone without Christ. Your heart has to go out to them. It does. Someone, um, recently I was on one of my trips, um, forget which one it was now. And uh, <laughs> I know, yeah. And we were just talking about ministry. And I remember the time when I came to California and initially I thought when I first showed up, I thought, oh no, I'm not staying in this place. Um, this is God forsaken. <laughs> Let me go back to the Southeast somewhere. And that was my plan uh, that I would go back to the Southeast. Um, but guess what? Where am I right now? <laughs> Here I am in California. <laughs> God had other plans. And a part of that was on my heart, at least. This was for me personally. This is not trying to project it on you. This has to be a part of your grid or how you think through your decisions. But for me, it was, okay, Carl, so you're going to, you say this place is God forsaken in some ways it is. But you want to go to a place that already has a great deal of life. And we know that people are leaving in droves. They're headed to Idaho and Texas and Florida and other places like it. And I say, the Lord be with you. Take your light there. Because here's the thing about it. We may say California God forsaken, but I've been to places. I've been to the Southeast. I know the Southeast. It is God forsaken in another way because see, they think they know God. Of course, sweetheart, I know the Lord. That's what they'll say to you. Of course, I know the Lord. I've known the Lord all my life. And they'll be pleasant about it. Whereas in California, people are not always the same way. 
But one soul dies that is religiously lost, and one soul dies that's a pagan. They both need light, do they not? And so wherever you may go, light is needed. What are they thinking? And is, do you just have the controller here? I'm just going to go kind of in lecture mode here, and I'll do it this way. All right, excellent. Yeah. <laughs> um, what are people thinking? So we interact with these people, and we, they have different backgrounds, different educational experience, socially different, uh, but we're called into the world, are we not? But we have to develop a biblical worldview. And how do we define it? First, we start off this way. We believe in absolute moral truths, do we not? The world does not. When it comes to truth, what does the world think? Someone tell me. Oh, it's, it's what? My truth, relative truth. It varies. How can we say that there is an absolute? We also believe this. The Bible is totally accurate in all its principles that it teaches. Absolutely accurate. The world is saying, no, the portions we, we can accept, but no, amen. And then we would say this, Satan is considered to be a real being, a force, not merely symbolic. He is real. The devil roams about like a roaring lion seeking someone to do what? To devour. And we are wrestling. And Paul tells us in Ephesians 6, we're not fighting against flesh and blood principalities and powers that we fight against. So we need to understand that it's very real. And what does the world want us to do to know? Think it's just a symbol of something, a very real person that is the enemy of God and the enemy of our souls. It is also this, a person kind of earned their way into heaven by trying to be good or to do good works. There are many who will be on the other side of eternity and they will be that person that's in Matthew chapter 7. And they will say, Lord, did we not? And the Lord Jesus Christ in that moment would say to me, depart from me, you workers of what? Iniquity. I never think about that. A work of iniquity. Wait a minute. They did goodwill. A work of iniquity. They taught. A work of iniquity. They helped people. A work of iniquity. Yes, because in the heart. It was apart from the grace of God and it was apart from a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So these are, in fact, works of iniquity. Next, Jesus Christ lived a sinless life on earth. You would think that, is that really that important? Of course it is, because people in the world do not want to recognize Jesus Christ as God in human flesh who lived an, in fact, sinless life. You even see this teaching creeping even into the church as well, questioning whether or not he in fact lived an absolutely state of the world who still rules the universe. Amen. And here is the crux of the matter at times. It is this man's first absolute inability, but an unwillingness to surrender their lives to this authority. That was true of my own testimony because there's so many things that I knew but I've still, I've said it to you before, but I remember saying to my own soul, yes, I know these things are true, but I am not willing to change, which is essentially saying, I'm not willing to surrender my life to this authority. Why? Why is a person unwilling to, to surrender to an authority? Because they want to remain what? Their own authority, their own sovereign, their own ruler. So these, this is a clash when we're sharing the gospel with people. 
but we must have a biblical worldview. Listen to this. Um, survey has told us a percent. So that's a broad road that's out there. Consider this. Surprising, only 19% of those describing themselves as born again have this worldview because they question elements of it. Now, there is a caveat to that because uh, those describing themselves as born again. Because, of course, like, say, for instance, I mentioned before, if you go to the southeast and you knock on doors in Charleston, South Carolina, you're going to be hard-pressed to have someone say, I am not born again. Right? Of course. And they say it in such an endearing way, too. And I do like, like visiting the south at times because, you know, everyone refers to everyone as sweetheart and darling and things like that. It's, it's just the way they are, right? People in Texas do it as well. Um, and Louisiana and Mississippi. <laughs> Went with me to visit in Florida and, uh, for the first time. And I said, now, you, let me prepare you for something. We're going to be at restaurants. And if we check in somewhere, women are going to refer to me as darling. <laughs> but it's just the way it is in the South, right? <laughs> I had to prep her for that. <laughs> Because it's like, what's going on here? No, it's just, trust me, she said it to that 80-year-old guy, and she said it to the 16-year-old as well. Now, is this not true? Any of you know Southerners? Wait a come on now, help me out here. <laughs> no, it is true. It is true. It's just the way people are. But see, they would describe themselves as born again, but not have a biblical worldview. And at times, they can be the hardest people to reach. In the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, who are the hardest people to reach? One third. One fourth sees Satan as a real force. Consider this. One fourth believe that it's impossible to earn heaven. Impossible. Oh, my. What a sad person. Forty percent accept Jesus' sinless life. Then what was he? Yeah. Well, that's a part of it. That's interesting you mentioned it. I said we're sort of in lecture mode, so if you have a question, or we'll start the Q&A early. Um, <laughs> as you said, then he's just the teacher. That's right, because there are different views of salvation. That is, um, some would say, well, there's an exemplary view of salvation. So an exemplary view is that, yes, he is my Savior because I follow his example. And, you know, connected to that exemplary view is the moralistic view of salvation. I see him as a, a moral example again, and I follow his sinless. And that indicts all of us, does it not? And 70 cent, 70%, sorry, believe God is a universal ruler. So 70, that's better. But see, they see him as a universal ruler, but not in the absolute sense that we would. This is what people believe. This is what they're thinking. That's around us. Point five of those um, oh, 18 to 23. Point five. Make sure you share the right language. And let me just introduce this. We'll pick it up next week. Okay? So when we're interacting with people like this, we have to make sure that we share the right language with them. Now, moving ahead, we're going to talk about the right language. We're going to talk about the right consequences. And then we'll talk about the right person. 
So next, and I'll probably introduce to that as well, the right expectations. But first of all, the right language. And let me just introduce the thought, and we'll pick it up next week. Um, if we want the Spirit of God to move in the hearts of people, to soften their heart, to bring them to faith, we have to use biblical language, do we not? Look at John 16. John 16, and then verses 8 through 11. And he says, verse 7, the helper will come when I go away. I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do it. What is John saying here? We know that the Holy Spirit uh, empowers us to share the gospel. The Holy Spirit illumines our mind. The Holy Spirit is the agent of change in the heart of someone that doesn't know the Lord. But it says here that he will convict the world. Convicted how? Concerning sin. That means we have to have a proper definition of sin, do we not? We have to use the language of Scripture. Any gospel presentation that is not bringing to account a person's sin is not a gospel presentation. I just had this conversation with the good doctor after our elders' prayer meeting. We were talking about uh, people that now we see, even at our church, more and more people are coming, and we love it, but many of these people don't have a correct view of the gospel. And you're interviewing people, and there's no reference to personal sin. We are so but we cannot alter this message because to alter this message means it will do damage to your soul. How will it do damage to someone's soul? Because if you don't tell them that they're without God, they are outside of God's favor because of their personal sin, they will linger in it. And that's why it's called good news. Why is it good news? (laughs) Because there's a savior. I'm saved from something. And what is that something? It is my personal sin. Preachers who want to have a pulpit, and they talk about having a positive pulpit. So we want to keep the pulpit positive. So we don't talk about those sorts of things. Well, you're a false teacher if you don't tell people about sin. And isn't that the joy in one part of the Christian experience that you realize how great a sinner you were, and now you're fully accepted by the good news? That makes it a gospel. He says, now we cooperate with the Spirit in using the language that the Spirit would use, which is sin. Sin. And he says it plainly here, because they do not believe in me. They're rejected. Jesus Christ, here is perfection. And they rejected him. And that's even a thought for you to consider. If they rejected perfection, we should be careful about our expectations when we share with other people. Righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer will see me. That's the greatest verse. Um, and I believe what he's ultimately saying here is he will conf- convict them of righteousness or their lack of, because now that it goes to the Father, that is a acceptable. You must have this righteousness if you are to be saved. Not your own. 
men try to develop their own righteousness. What does Isaiah tell us? Your righteousness is like filthy what? Rags. Filthy rags. Filthy rags. And concerning judgment, the ruler of this world has been judged. I've defeated him. And the scripture is clear. Um, If you're not for God, then you are what? Against God. Who's against God? The world. And this, he says, the rule of this world has been judged. How has it been judged? Because I go to the Father. Because the Father accepts my life and he, he will accept my sacrifice and I will raise myself again from the dead. So I've defeated the rule of this. It's really a matter of sides now. Whose side are you on? He has been judged and will be judged. And that's why we think again about, about that lake of fire. Those who are on his side will be judged with him for an eternity. So we need to be good watchmen. It's great to be here at Grace Community Church and you hear, you know, solid teaching all the time. So many resources available to you, classes available to you. But what's the purpose behind it? I mean, going back to my football days, I mean, uh, practice was hard. But I love practice because I knew at the end of it, there would be a game. You don't just practice. with. I love practice. I want to play. Just like the soldier who's that watchman, he has a certain degree of preparation, but eventually that preparation is for a purpose. You're here for a purpose. You come to anchor for a purpose. You go to that service for a purpose. You go to Grace Equip or whatever it may be for a purpose. You participate in a men's study or a woman's study or a Bible study for a purpose. And that purpose is to prepare you to be good watchmen. And if we don't do that, we've forgotten our purpose. Father, thank you for these words you give us. And we even look forward to later today when we can gather again and discuss how we might practice them. In Christ's name, amen.